This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today, I'm talking to Mary Demuth. She's on Instagram at Mary Demuth, and I'm excited to chat about the Benedictine principle of order, especially in regards to dealing with children as they grow. Thank you so much for joining me today, Mary. So great to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, I'm really excited about this conversation because you have a new book called Love, Pray, Listen, Parenting Your Wayward Adult Kids with Joy. And I think so many of my listeners are homeschool moms, and some of them maybe had not a great childhood experience. I know a lot of them actually are homeschool, were homeschooled themselves, but some of them maybe did not have a great childhood experience, and they are really trying hard to create something different and better for their children. Can you relate to that a little bit? <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. I can relate to that. And uh, having grown up in a home that was uh, very chaotic and broken, when I got married, um, one of the things that I really committed to was to work on my own healing journey because I didn't want to duplicate what I had experienced. And it was definitely an insecurity of mine when I started parenting my kids. I always worried that they would feel like they were unloved or that they you know, would feel abandoned. And so I, I worked very hard and I'm sure very imperfectly um, to make sure that they knew that they were settled and loved and uh, wanted and all of those things that I didn't feel as a little kid. Yeah. And I think, you know, in this season right now, we're talking about the principle of order. But for me, I, I struggled a little bit to create order or maybe have good boundaries because I also felt there were some inadequacies about my childhood. And I really wanted to give my children more attention and more uh, love than maybe my own perceptions felt like I got as a child. I'm not trying to diminish my experience, but I, you know, so I was really, really intentional about showing them love and also very intentional about teaching them to obey me. But I think a lot of my early parenting was actually from my own trauma. Like I had been molested as a child. I've talked mm. about that a lot. That opened the door to a lot of fear. And so I definitely had a lot of fears about how my children would turn out. And so some of my parenting was fear-based instead of being from a place of wholeness. Could you see some of that in your own journey? <laughs> Are you reading my email? Uh, yeah. Yes. So much fear, so much insecurity, so much worrying about, you know, how can I protect my children from what I endured? Because I knew, you know, with the adverse childhood experiences that I had gone through had produced quite a bit of complex post-traumatic stress. And so uh, I wanted to m mitigate that. The problem is, you know, there are parents out there who are neglectful, but there's a lot of really good parents who their kids experience something horrible and it's not their fault. And so there was that kind of chaos that got in introduced of, wait a minute, Lord, <laughs> I want to 100% protect all my kids at all times. And I realized that even if I was an amazing parent, 
I, I can't stop the world from being evil. And so that really introduced a whole new level of dependence on the Lord and to realize that if he could bring me this far in my own healing journey, he surely has big enough shoulders for my children if they have to encounter something difficult as well. Yeah, that's such an encouraging thought that it's not all up to us. Because I think in the early years of parenting, I for sure thought it was all up to me, that mm-hmm. I had to be a perfect parent or it would all fall apart. You know, one of the things that there a lot of research is coming out about is that the more calm and orderly parents are, the more calm and orderly their children will be. You know, because sometimes we think that order is all about being a good parent manager of people, you know, being good at making sure they do what they're told or things like that. But I think there's a lot of natural order that happens when a parent is what they call regulated. You know, when a parent has settled some of their own big questions with God or has worked through their childhood trauma so that they can be more trusting. Because really what childhood trauma does is it makes us feel afraid all the time. It makes us feel Mm -hmm. un- comfortable and distressed and like the world is a scary place. And so then that affects the way we parent because we might be overbearing or overly controlling or even have too high of expectations on our children to meet our emotional needs. And that creates disorder. We might be doing a really good job at telling them what to do, but if there's all this underlying junk, then we still create these weird, you know, triangulations in our relationships and turn our, you know, oldest children into best friends that that maybe, you know, and then maybe give them too much information. I definitely did this with my own oldest child. So what are some of the things that you would tell parents now? Like, here's what I wish I had done earlier, or here's what we did that was helpful. I would say... Um... Yeah, the thing that I did was is fairly nebulous. It's hard to quantify, but I just absolutely pursued healing and not perfectly, of course, but I went to counseling. I had a lot of people praying for me. I shared my story a lot in order to gain healing from that, just the practice of getting it out of myself. Um, and a lot of, honestly, just a lot of prayer of crying out to the Lord and saying, I just don't know what I'm doing and I'm I'm sure I'm failing and please help me. And understanding that the Holy Spirit knew best how to raise my kids. So I was a better parent when I was more in tune with my weakness and reached out to Him for help. Um, on a practical side, something that came to mind is... Uh, one of the things that I think we started to do well when we lived in France, we were missionaries um, with, and our kids were with us. Uh, they were in their elementary, junior, high school years when we were church planters there. And the thing that we did that is interesting is we enacted a Sabbath and we just definitely took a day off. And it was, it was not like Little House on the Prairie where everyone stared at their hands or anything like that. It was a life-giving day. And it's interesting now that my kids are grown, um, even though some of them aren't following the Lord, they still practice Sabbath. They still um, go back to that rhythm because it's such a good rhythm. Yeah. And I think there's always so much hope. You know, we haven't talked about that part of your story yet, but there's always so much hope when those seeds are planted in my book that I'm working on, Restoration Home. I have an excerpt from a letter that Uh, I think it's Frankie Schaefer. So Edith and Francis's son had walked away from the Lord, but at his mom's death, he wrote a letter saying, you know, I 
I see your example and I believe. And so I think that is one of the big things that we can hope in with our children is the things are going through right now. That's not going to be forever. But one of the things that I'm actually learning as my kids get older is the practice of benevolent detachment. Because as someone who, you know, had some childhood trauma, like I said, I was molested, I I put too much of my identity in my mothering. So if my children were doing good, I felt like a whole person, like I was successful. If my children were struggling, I felt like it was all my fault and there was something wrong with me. And so my moods would go up and down depending on how my children were doing. But that that's not a very healthy way to live, especially with adult children where there's not too much you can do about their day-to-day struggles and the way that they're living their lives. You, if the seeds are planted, you just have to trust that they'll bear fruit. What? How has benevolent detachment helped you um, develop peace no matter what's happening with your children? Well, I realized that if my happiness was based on the actions of another, I was going to constantly be sad <laughs> um, or stressed or on a roller coaster. And ultimately, I had to go back to that place of where does my real joy come from? It always comes from the Lord. And so um, I also think that part of that detachment is grief and learning how to grieve. So you can't really detach until you have grieved that there's a new stage in your kids' lives or that they've made some decisions that are breaking your heart or whatever it is that's you know painful for you in order to get to the other side and get to the place where someone else's actions aren't dictating your moods anymore, it, you have to grieve. And then after that grief, you're, you begin to uh, find your joy and your worth in the only one who can actually give it. That's so good. I, I feel like that is such an important piece of the healing process, you know, as mothers, and it's not talked about very often. And sometimes we almost look down on people who are grieving, like, oh, just pull yourself together. But really taking that time to really feel the disappointment of, you know, maybe a child made a mistake, or maybe your husband made a mistake, or in some way, your life is not what you thought it would be. You know, I had to take time to grieve that I had a that my child had special needs they were struggling with. I had to take time to grieve some of the experiences my children had as teens. And even just that, that expectation that things will be a certain way and then they're not. And so I love that you brought that up because it's such a, a healing part of being faithful because what this whole podcast is really about is just about being able to be faithful as women with these good and healing practices even if everybody's not responding, because sometimes I think we we do the good things as mothers, and then when people don't respond the way we want them to, or like to you know forget about it, I'm just going to start drinking my wine every night, whatever, you know. Um, and nothing wrong with having an evening glass of wine. I'm just saying it's that tendency to check out when we are disappointed. Yeah, so true. I mean, we definitely. Um, spiritual practices are for us and for our relationship with God, but they do spill over into the way we react to people in our lives. And again, that roller coaster becomes a lot less roller coastery. Yeah. You know, some of the people that I've had on the podcast are talking about how, you know, parenting practices or homeschooling practices that are better for our kids. But what about, you know, when 
you are struggling with someone who won't comply, like how can we as parents stay steady and faithful and orderly, even when we have, you know, adult children who maybe aren't living by the things that we taught them? Or how can we not get discouraged and give up? That's just why I wrote that book, because I asked myself the question, what can I do? And the three things I could do what, um, that I could control is I could always love my child. I could always pray for them. No one's going to prevent me from praying for them. And if I'm still in a relationship with them, I can always listen to them and be a really active, devoted listener. And so I can't change them. I cannot... Um, make them think a different way. And chances are our kids already know our opinions on a wide variety of things. And so we don't have to keep hammering it and saying, this is my opinion, this is my opinion, um, or this is what the Word of God says, because chances are they already know. And one of the things I talk about in the book is if you feel the need to say it one more time, like they come to you and they say, well, you know, I'm you know, I'm, I've chosen another religion or whatever, or I'm different gender now. There's a lot of different things kids could say to us to freak us out. I'm addicted to drugs. They probably wouldn't admit that, but that's, you know, one of the things. And so when those things come, um, say it once just to reaffirm, hey, I love you. I'm for you. This is not something I believe that the Bible would want us to do to flourish in this world, but I'm not going to talk about it again. And um, I just want to let you know I'm for you. And so that way, if you say it once, you're no longer a nag, <laughs> uh, whether you're a man or a woman, and you have that editorial distance from your child to really, really get on your knees and pray for them. Yeah, I think there's so much that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit that's not going to happen if we try to control it. You know, and, and it's it does like I posted the other day on Instagram. Sometimes it takes nerves of steel to watch our adult children, even in small things like spending too much or mm -hmm. um, you know not getting to work on time. There's even small things that can make us project and imagine worst case scenarios. And learning how to just, like you said, say something once if you feel like something needs to be said, but don't try to micromanage, you know, give them some space to grow. Because at that point, we're talking later teens, adults, at that point, they are going to have to learn some of those mistakes for themselves so that they can grow. So what though, because one of the things that I did when I was a younger parent is I was always looking for those families who had great children. And I wanted to know, like, how did you do it? What did you do uh, to, to create such a happy family and to have such wonderful children? And, you know, one of the families that I really admire, I feel like they laughed a lot together. Like they weren't the most perfectionistic and idealistic families of all the families I knew. I mean, they were, you know, there were things that were a little messy about them, but they just seem to be really happy together. And most of the kids have been happy and cohesive adults. You know, some of the families that I knew who were super idealistic and very, very rigid are some of the families who've like gone the most crazy in adulthood or had, you know, gone the most distant from their childhood, uh, maybe values. So what are some of the things that you feel like in retrospect worked or didn't work about the way you parented in light of your experiences? 
I wrote a book a long time ago called um, Authentic Parenting in a Postmodern Culture. Um, it ended up being retitled, You Can Raise Courageous and Confident Kids. And in that book, I talk about conversational parenting and the importance of that. And I would say that's what we did best. We had dinner every night around a table and we had conversations and we trained our kids in the art of conversation. It did help that we lived in France where you lingered over the table for a lot longer than we Americans do. Um, but that really solidified our relationships. And even though we don't all agree with one another, we're actually, I have three adult kids now, we're actually going back to Europe this summer all together on a vacation as a family. And I think part of the bedrock of that was just all that training in conversation. I would say my weakness there, looking back, um, was probably trying to control too much and not understanding. Of course, when your kids are really little, there is a high level of control, but there is a gradual letting go. And there were times and periods where it was harder for me to do so. Yeah, I really appreciate that because I know it is hard for us as families to find that balance. Like we want our children to be obedient and be able to do their homeschool lessons and clean up after themselves. And there's so many details. And yet we also want them to have a level of self-acceptance. You know, I just read uh, Ginger Vuolo's book. So she was yes. one of the, she's one of the Duggar yep. kids. And she just talked about how there was so much detail so much perfectionism that as an adult, she constantly is judging herself and questioning what she's doing. It's hard for her to develop confidence because she's so aware of every single failing. And I can even see that, you know, in a, a couple of my oldest children, that tendency to be over hyper vigilant about their behavior because we had such an emphasis on behavior when they were younger. Exactly. And I think, I think the opposite is true, though, just to give parents a little bit of some compassion is that in the home that I grew up in, there was no, there were no boundaries. And so I had to create them myself. And that also created an internal critic as well. So, you know, you're kind of it's it's hard to make that balance of completely permissive versus highly rigid and structured. And I think on both extremes, you can get children who berate themselves internally. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, I think that one of, I, I don't know how many young moms can handle this, but the truth is everybody's going to make mistakes. Like I set out hoping and believing that I could be a perfect parent. Like I was <laughs> like, I am going to be a perfect mother. I love my children so much. I'm going to be a perfect mother. I'm not going to do anything wrong because this is too important. And yet my children, you know, some of them feel like I was too smothering, like I was too intentional. Do you know what I mean? So I think mm -hmm. that the truth is all children are going to have some, I, I don't know that really any children are not going to have any complaints about the way you parent. And so to some degree, making sure that you have a life outside of parenting, that you have a relationship with God, that you have some hobbies, that you as a, a person are ordering your affections. You know, Cindy Rollins talks about her, her blog is called, or. Oh, Ordo Amoris, I think I'm saying it wrong, but it's the Latin for ordering our affections. And we do have to have our identity as mothers in a hierarchy with our identity as beloved daughters of God, so that when that day comes, when our children, whatever the complaint may be, decide that we did make a mistake, our whole identity doesn't crumble because we 
had so much of our personhood wrapped up in our motherhood. Right. So important. And, you know, especially if you have kids leaving the nest, I see a lot of women in particular kind of losing their way because they have thrown themselves, you know, beautifully into this act of motherhood and especially homeschooling moms, you know, that's their whole day, their whole work. Um, And then kids graduate and they move on and suddenly what is your purpose? And so reserving some time for yourself and getting to know who you are and validating your own needs and your own passions and desires will definitely benefit you when the emptiness comes. Yeah, I'm so thankful for this conversation, Mary. Where can families find your book, Love, Pray, Listen? It's wherever books are sold. And then I also have a freebie um, that is 52 prayers that you can pray over your adult kids. And it can be your like teenage kids too. And they can get that at marriedmuth.com slash LPL, which stands for Love, Pray, Listen. And uh, they'll get those for free. Awesome. We'll link that in the show notes. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. This is such an important topic just for us as mothers. We care so much and we want to, you know, be prepared, be preparing our hearts to release our children into their own story, into their own journey as they become adults. So thank you for joining today, Mary. Thank you. Thank you. 